Hey everybody, this is the science, the Free Will Science and Religion Podcast. My name is George Ortega. I'm here with Chandler Klebs, Alan Worrell, David Joseph, and Trick Slattery. And today we're going to talk about like why and how overcoming this belief in free will is helpful not just to society in general, but on a personal level. How it'll help us kind of like navigate our relationships with our friends, family, in much more civilized, compassionate, and intelligent ways. Okay, Chandler, you want to start us off? Uh, sure. Um, I there's here's an example of how understanding that you don't have a free will and that you're not fundamentally responsible for the way you, you, your life turned out and what you do and how you feel and all that. It has so many benefits that lead you to happiness that it's hard to know where to begin. But here's a start. First of all, you understand that you're you know you're not responsible you no longer feel guilty like oh no i'm a bad person deserving of punishment and that's that's an important thing right there because if you feel like that you um if you feel like you deserve to be punished well then you'll either punish yourself or you will let other people punish you um for things whether they're wrong or not um, well then, so you take abuse as well as you abuse yourself when you feel that you deserve bad things to happen to you. And so that's a really bad thing. And so it's by understanding that, wait a minute, um, even though I may have done things in the past that were not the right thing, I've made mistakes, uh, punishing myself, well, that doesn't help anybody anyway. You know, it not only does it, does it not help anyone if somebody um, punishes themselves by committing suicide or something besides the fact that it doesn't help them um, they don't deserve it and when they realize they don't deserve it their whole worldview changes that sounds great um david do you have any kind of like um so this is chandler you're just dealing with like how this helps ourselves you know like in other words like to prevent us from from punishing ourselves and again like it's very important to prevent us from from allowing others to punish us david can you think of like ways like that um on um the other side of it like how does understanding that we don't have a free will help you to understand and be more compassionate toward other people uh, well, um, uh, one of the uh, the main comments I seem to get would be uh, kind of along the lines of you're just using the excuse of having no free will, so you don't feel bad about anything that you've done. But I think, for me, if, if I'm in a car and I run someone over, just because I don't have free will doesn't mean to say that I'm not going to feel bad about what's happened. You know, but um, with regards to what you're saying, uh, I would say that uh, you know it helps us to be more understanding, concentrate more on the root causes of people's behaviours rather than just you know asserting that they have free will and uh, you know punishing them for something that was beyond their control. If, if that makes sense. Exactly. I think that's a really important point. In other words, like understanding that we don't have a free will does not mean that we're going to give ourselves license to do whatever and does not mean that we're going to not feel bad when when the universe compels us to do things that we'd, we'd rather not do, that we, we, we wouldn't do if we ha had a free will. Exactly. 
Okay, Trick, can you relate this to your personal life, how this helps you kind of like on a daily basis to kind of like, you know, to to just enjoy life better without, you know, without going to the to the free will belief? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, the whole idea that um, someone isn't to blame or, or really truly um, responsible in the in in the sense that they could have done otherwise leads you to have the more more compassion towards other people. Um, if someone gets angry at you, you kind of understand that there's these causal influences that have led up to that anger, and and it kind of uh, helps you um, not project anger back if if when possible. You know, some, sometimes uh, you know even the best of us uh, we still uh, have problems with that, right? We we still don't we still sometimes don't recognize this free will illusion so so we we kind of play to these things but then when we think about it in hindsight we understand that that these these causal events happen and they couldn't have happened otherwise and and uh, the person wasn't to blame for their state of being at the at any given point they weren't uh, uh, guilty or anything like that um, and uh, I think another another thing besides this is it also plays into our idea of fairness and equality um, when we understand that one person isn't really technically more deserving or less deserving than another person, um, it kind of it kind of uh, takes away the justification for inequality and being unfair. Basically, it removes that justification and says uh, we're better off trying to equalize things amongst all members. Right. So that definitely relates to like our societal view. In other words, like there's a lot of, you know, income inequality, a lot of inequality in various ways across society. So how would that play out on a personal level? How would that understanding help us relate to people, you know, as we meet them on the street and all? It removes, uh, it removes the idea of uh, that you're kind of the, this egocentric idea, I guess, this, 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 the ego that, that makes you think that you're above others or, or even that you're below others. Uh, it, it removes that idea and it kind of lets you relate to people as an equal. Um, or, yeah. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Al, Alan, you just, I, you know, relatively recently you came, I, I think, to the understanding that, that free will is impossible. So how, how have you noticed in your personal life that is it, it has enhanced your relationships and maybe also kind of like shielded you from negative emotions that you would have been experiencing under the free will belief? So and I'm going to kind of take a couple of points that's already been mentioned. And to use a concrete example, let's let's take poverty. Um, right. One of the the biggest arguments that I always hear is that people are poor because they choose <laughs> to be poor. It, it, it's completely it makes no sense. But, hey, uh, that's that's what they say. Um, so for myself, you know, arriving at that point, it, it really begins for me taking a look at that person and saying, OK, why are you in the situation that you are in and what are the things that can help you get out? Because it's, it's a realization, I think, uh, about choices and, and not only choices for myself, the things that I don't know, but also choices for other people, what they don't know. 
So if that person doesn't know that perhaps there are programs available to help them get out of poverty, right, then they may never take those programs and thus use those programs and get out of poverty. Um, so it's more of this, this perspective, this changing of education, I suppose, um, to where we may not drive down a car or you know, drive down the street and hit someone and cause pain, but it's this helping other people to see other choices and perhaps stopping, taking a step back and going, okay, I'm going to make this decision. I.e., I'm going to drive my car way too fast today. Well, what are my other options? And if I don't know what my other options are, how can I find out my other options? So can I ask someone, can I get a different perspective from someone else? Um, it's this expanding of perspective that I, I think helps when coming to a realization that free will is just an illusion at the end of the day. But it's this understanding that, yeah, I may have choices, so which one do I take? Alan, which that, way do I go? Absolutely. And then like, so basically that also affects how we look at that person. For example, like black people in America, a lot of people will, you know, have these racist views blaming black people for their poverty, you know, looking down on them. And it's not just about the choice, because like to the extent that um, we understand that we don't have a free will, we understand the reason that so many black people are poor relative to white people is because of the, the legacy of, of segregation and slavery and all. You know, and there are, still, there are still things today as well that, I mean, that happen. I mean, if, if you raise a child, let's say, who's for them, the thought of college is so far out of reach that it's not going to be done. And it, it may be that you know, something's going on at home or just in general, the community that they're in is depressed, is down. Those options do not seem available. Then that, that child may never go on to try to find those options for themselves just because they don't know that they're available. Um, and if you, if you can look at that and say, okay, well, maybe, number one, we make those options available, and number two, we try to help those people, try to educate those people, try to shepherd them into getting those resources and doing better for themselves, then that's one way to break that cycle of poverty. On the flip side, if you say, well, they have a choice, and they just don't choose it because they're lazy, because they're this, they're that, whatever – then you just completely wrote off an entire segment of people who you could educate and help them become, you know, more than what their parents were. Yeah, I think the problem is uh, that that people actually blame those those people for being poor, and and they see they see those rare cases where a poor person actually, uh, you know. Uh, Builds themselves up out of this poverty and into, you know, a wealthy state or something like that. And they say, if they can do it, then these other people should be able to do it. But they don't have the same causal variables, and that's that's what the people don't really seem to make that connection. Right. Right. Yeah. And they don't have. I mean, they just. Yeah. Like you said, they don't have the same causal variables. And it's for us, for other people, to come in 
and make those changes for them to help them along the way. Of course, you can't do that if everyone sits on their hands and say, well, they're just doing it because they choose to live that kind of lifestyle. Right. Or because they're lazy, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Oh, these people are lazy. They don't, they don't want to work when in, in actuality, they, they probably can't find a job at McDonald's. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Well, and even if they did find a job at McDonald's, does the job at McDonald's pay more or is right. better for them than the alternative of doing nothing? Exactly. Guys, I want to plug two books that deal with this. Um, more sociologically, but the first one of them was just published um, earlier this month. This guy, James B. Miles, an academic and independent researcher in the UK, he just published a book called The, free, um, the Delusion of Free Will. Or Chandler, yeah, is it The, the Free, free Will, Will Delusion? delusion? Um, and then I think the subtitle is How We Settled for the Illusion of Morality. Excellent. So, yeah, so this, uh, this, like, I just read it, and he just, like, he presents exhaustive evidence that, like, our whole social structures, based on this free will belief, are designed to keep people poor. That, that you know, to kind of, like, this free will belief says, well, uh, you know, they have free will, it's up to them, it's not our fault. So this is, this is majorly important, and so, again, it's, it's a great book. Another book that was incidentally published, I think, about 100 years ago. I don't remember the author's name, but it's, it's called In Defense of the Bottom Dog. And this is the most impassioned, compassionate um, defense of, of people who were oppressed by the free will belief that I've ever read. I mean, like, again, it was written 100 years ago, so it doesn't go into the science. It, it definitely refutes free will by logic, but it presents the rationale. You know, it presents the rationale why this is so important for the world to know. Okay, Chandler, um, let's, let's, again, let's pull back into our personal lives. Like, when you're watching people on TV or people in, in our lives, you know, like, for example, I've got a couple of brothers, like older brothers, that they, you know, they don't treat me so, sometimes very well. And, 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 like, you know, like, so, like, I may want to avoid them, but it, it helps me to not have to blame them. How does this, you know, free will belief, you know, just basically make our... How does overcoming the belief just in, in, enhance well, our relationship? Well, what's interesting is what I found is that it hasn't really enhanced um, my relationships because I don't have any relationships with anybody. What I'm saying is, I mean, for example, um, let's just say that my sister and my father are people that I can't be around, okay? And so that hasn't really changed um, since overcoming the free will belief. But what has changed is I no longer hate them the way I used to because I used to, you know, hate them and blame them for for being the kind of people they are, you know, blame them for being selfish or and and stuff like that, um, you know, and it's, you know, and, and it's, it's little stuff like that that um, I, I, I no longer am burdened down by that hatred of of you know of of believing that they could have done otherwise and being mad at them for it so that's the thing is i'm no longer i'm no longer mad at um whether it's my sister or my my father or the or the people in churches that i've known who have hurt me really bad i no longer hate them because i don't blame them it doesn't mean that i that it hurts less or that i wasn't damaged by what happened in the past but 
at the same time, I realized that they had no choice but to do what they did. And it really, all it really does is it motivates me to do what I can to prevent other people from following the same path those people have. Okay, yeah, because I, you know, I can relate to that. In my experience, you know, it's not an insignificant effect. I mean, in other words, like, yes, with my brothers, with, with, with certain politicians that say hateful things. You know, I, I was into politics, like, you know, a lot several years ago, and I would hate groups of people and all. And so, yes, to the extent that we understand that it's not their fault, logically, you know, I, I would feel ashamed to kind of like to hate them and, and, and um, you know, hold them responsible. And that's a huge benefit that that basically spares us this anger and this judgment and this hatred. And so, yeah, it doesn't solve everything. You know, obviously, like, you know, well, fine, we don't blame them. But then like we we, you know, I mean, like actually trick talk about this, because like if you have an atheist perspective, you actually come to the to the point where you can't blame anything. And that's got to be, you know, a wonderful benefit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're right, this whole hatred idea, the, this whole emotion of hatred, it, uh, the whole free will belief kind of justifies hatred, whereas it kind of leaves other, um, the, the lack of belief kind of removes that justification for hatred, and it kind of leaves these other emotions, such as love, pretty much unscathed. It doesn't, it doesn't really have um, any rational bearing on those, those emotions, but it has them on things for hatred because... There's really no reason to be hating something that they, that couldn't have done otherwise, basically. Can you go into more detail? Because sometimes people will say, well, you know, if you get rid of this free will belief, then that means I can't freely choose to love someone. So that means, like, there is no love and stuff. So explain how that's, like, illogical reasoning. It's illogical because love comes about cause, through causal means. Uh, we... we develop relationships with people through causal means. Uh, we, we become psychologically um, connected, I guess, with people through causal means. The, the, it's a whole causal process that leads to um, love. And, and the same thing with hatred. There's a whole causal process that leads to hatred as well. But then when, when you start thinking about both of these things on rational levels, on logical levels, you understand that the love isn't unjustified by the uh, lack of belief in free will, whereas the hatred kind of is because the person wasn't uh, to blame for, for whatever they've done that made you hate them. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I could add to that, like, for example, I think people know, like, that we don't choose freely who, for example, to fall in love with. When people, like, fall in love and get married, I mean, they, that, that's not a free will decision, yet they still love the people. Because if we did have free will, then we'd all kind of like, just like, well, you know, that seems like a, per a good person. I'll fall in love with that person, you know, whatever. So it solved a lot of problems. But like, so basically we have this understanding, like with love, no, it's not a freely will thing. Um, well, go ahead. And, and uh, I would say, too, that, you know, just because you don't believe in free will, say, you get rid of the free will belief, it, it does not change the fact that we're, we are a social species, who look to prop up each other, help each other, and all of these things, what it does do is it gives you pause to look at the person and say, okay, why are you acting this away? And you begin searching for those causes and those things to change 
rather than just blaming them because they did what they did. So it's a, it's a shift in mindset to look for root causes rather than, you know, just writing off and saying, Oh, well, you know, they did what they did because they made that choice. Um, it's a different way of looking at other people. Right. And sometimes it just allows us to understand that, that two people might just simply be incompatible in, in their psychologies. Uh, so, so these, these causal events lead to two people that are incompatible and that's, that's that, you know, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that one has to be changed or the other has to be changed, though, though we can look for changes, you know, the ways to change for, for things that are really bad. But I think, um, we can also see that, that, um, that, that the way people come about causally can be incompatible with the way other people come about causally. And it doesn't necessarily mean one is worse than the other. It just means that they're, they're just two com- incompatible um, psychologies that, that came about. Yeah, and if, if both people realize that and recognize it, then they could work and try to come up to some kind of an agreement that says, okay, this is what I'm expecting from you. What are you expecting from me? Right. And then try to actually overcome that rather than simply blaming each other and never trying to work for a solution that's that's more than what they would get if they if they don't. So, yeah. Yeah, that's why. Sorry, go ahead. I was just it's just it's definitely a heightened awareness of, of other people and why things are the way they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um. I was going to say it's. Uh, that's why we have uh, high levels of divorce rates and stuff like that. I mean, you can be in love with someone one day, but if they cheat on you, and that's like a causal effect. You know, the next day that, that person is someone you perhaps don't like so much. You know. Yeah. Wow. You know, this is really yeah. kind of weird to listen to because this whole falling in love thing is kind of a strange thing because growing up, I heard two messages. I, I heard love is a choice and that you must choose to love people or God will send you to hell or something weird like that, uh, you know. But then at the same time, you hear people tell their experiences like, well, I didn't choose to love – I didn't choose to fall in love. It just happened, you know. And, and it's kind of interesting because – it's and it gets confusing anyway because the concept of love is, is, is about as hard to – hard to explain as how free will could exist. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of sort of a love illusionist where I think that, I don't know, um, I don't, I mean, I, I guess at the very most I think of love as being synonymous with liking or favoring, like liking the taste of one food over another. I, I can't, I can't on any level above that connect what love could be. Well, let's let's demystify love because I think love sometimes yeah. gets very conflated, confused with a lot of things. I think essentially, you know, you might love a car, right? And the car will benefit by your like, you know, waxing it and taking care of it, right? But for for human beings, if you love another person, I think essentially means is your care. You you have a concern for that person's happiness. Your love is a reflection. That in other words, like you you want that person to be happy. I don't think it's any more complicated. It's like, with, with, you know, to the extent we love ourselves, you know, love is really that, that 
that perspective, that um, that motivation that expresses a concern for our welfare. Right. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah. That's kind yeah, of a simplified definition that I could think works well enough. But yeah, I want everyone to be happy. Therefore, I love everyone by that definition. Sort of. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. It it would seem though that the definition would change. If, you know, you were perhaps the definition you just used of I love everyone versus say I love, you know, my spouse or I love my significant other. It seems to me that the context and the definition would have to change uh, between those two situations. They would be completely different situations. Um, but I'm not sure how you would define love in that context versus another um because i would think and i'm not married so i can't speak to it really um that you're not only concerned for your partner's well-being and happiness um but you also have a connection there that um you you can no longer really see your life without them in it um it, it, to some extent so which is kind of an interesting sort of, yeah. sort of deal. So it's just a stronger, stronger emotional level, basically, than loving. Well, ice cream, it, well, I, th I, I think of it in terms of connection. <laughs> I think of it: the more you know somebody, the more, um, the more important they become to you. So you, so in a way, yeah, you would say that, um, like, yeah, I might like the taste of ketchup. But, yeah, I mean, I'm going to eat the ketchup and it's gone, you know. Um, but the person, like other humans or, you know, other animals as well, some people have a dog or cat or pig or something that they, they have with them for years. And for them, that, that pet dying is much worse than if one of the humans in their life dies, you know, because, because they – yeah. And so that's something oh, – yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Something it's long term. It's more long term. This isn't just some temporary thing, like like you know, ice cream or ketchup or whatever. Or perhaps even, I would go so far as to say you could include other people in that too, right? So maybe friends, family, etc. People who who you may not be close to, i.e., coworkers, right? Who if they were if you left your job that would be a different reaction to say your wife or your pet yeah. passing away. Right. Those could be two different. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting though, is the one way in which all of these relationships are the same is that we had zero choice in all of them. <laughs> that, and that's, what's so funny <laughs> because I mean, for example, I think most people get that they didn't choose their parents. You know, I think most people get that. That's pretty obvious, even for free will believers. Um, but but then, and also, like, I don't choose my coworkers at high V. I mean, I'm not the one who who sets that up. You know, you know. But then, a lot of people they say, well, you choose your spouse. They choose. Some people say that you choose who you follow. They they choose who you marry. It, that, but I'm I don't really think it works that way. I mean. Because I mean, well, we know there has to be a cause for everything, and every it usually works out because people end up meeting somebody 
who has all the qualities that they, I guess, they're attracted to or whatever you call it, you know. So it, it's just, you know, it's it's pretty much inevitable that they're going to meet somebody like that. Yeah. And I think to, to take this back to what we were talking about um, we got to understand that these emotions, there's, there's tons of emotions that we all have, you know, empathy and all, all these different emotions. And some of them, the understanding that we don't have free will, it just doesn't really touch them is, is, the, is I guess, the key point. Whereas other ones, such as hatred or, or um, things that, that kind of depend on this idea that someone is blameworthy, uh, kind of um, makes, it, makes that emotion a little less justifiable, I guess, is, is the way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's important because like ordinarily we've got about um, a minute left and all, but ordinarily we kind of like our understanding and try to be non-judgmental out of a moral principle. You know, it's a good thing to do, but to the extent that we understand that nobody has a free will, it not only becomes the right thing to do, it becomes the, the only logical, rational thing to do. All right, guys, this has been a great discussion. Um, we've got a, a little over a minute left. So basically, yeah, the idea is like even with love, I mean, if we want to love people more, you know, love the people in our, our lives more, the world more, people in general, to the extent that we overcome the belief in free will, we overcome judgment. And when we're not judging people. It's much, much easier to love people. And so, like, you know, that, that's a powerful benefit to the, uh, the rest of the world. All right, this has been this uh, Free Will Science and Religion podcast, and we're going to channel it. We're going to revisit this again, you know, a lot because, again, it's not, it's not just understanding that free will is impossible. The second step, and it's, it's a crucial step, is to put it into practice by integrating it, to really reprogram, our, reprogram ourselves from this, like, you know, very deeply ingrained belief in free will to the proper understanding so it benefits us all. Okay, thanks, everyone.